Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, God, we come to you. God, we say that we trust you. We really do trust you. We also know that we need you. God, we believe that you're great and you're strong and you're merciful and you're kind. And so God, we, we want today to be about you. So God, as we gather here to look at you, God, I, I pray that you would work in our hearts so that we, we would see you. God, help us to see you for who you are. And I, I pray it would do a work in our heart that we would love you more because we're here today. God, I pray you would help me to teach. I, God, I wanna teach your word faithfully, so I'm praying that you would help me to proclaim it clearly and accurately. I'm praying you'd use my weak words and my weak mind to do what only you can do, and that's to stir the hearts of men and women and children who are in this room. God, we want our hearts to burn for you and nothing less. We pray that all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. All right, I'm, I'm gonna sit down here. If you don't know, my back went out a couple, well, a week ago. So now I'm trying the more casual approach of sitting while I preach uh, until my back gets better. Hopefully that doesn't cause a stumbling block for you. If it does, that's kind of weird. I don't know what, I don't know what to say. I don't even know why I said that. Like someone's going to be upset. He sat in a chair. That's the dumbest thing ever. Um, hopefully it doesn't bother you. If it does, uh, again, I don't know why I'm saying that. Um, here's what we've done. We, we've started a series on prayer. Um, well, we just want to t spend some time looking at what Jesus says about prayer in Matthew chapter six. And, and listen, when I think about prayer, this is hands down. I think it's one of the things the church should get right. Right? Like, I mean, the church has been around for 2000 years. We should have prayer figured out by now. I, I would think that we should have prayer figured out by now. Uh, and I think that all of us, if you've been in church, even if you haven't been in church, you would say, listen, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, prayer should be a big deal in your life. That, that, should, be, that should be something the church has figured out and that all of us would probably agree, yeah, prayer is a pretty important thing. Um, talking to God, spending time praying with him, uh, that, that should be a vital part, part of my walk with him. But it doesn't always feel that way. Can we be honest about that? Um, yes, I, I, I'm assuming that was a yes. If that wasn't a yes, I'll take it as a yes and move on. Um, it, it doesn't always feel that way. So something, something can feel off about prayer, right? Like, as a matter of fact, not just something. Sometimes it feels like a million things can be off about prayer. Like when I go to pray, my brain goes a million different directions. Anyone else? You start going down the to-do list or you start going down, not the to-do list, but you start wandering into weird, like you remember the movie you watched three weeks ago, right? Or you remember the fight you had with so-and-so last night. Or you have an imaginary fight with someone up over nothing, right? Or you, you're, or you get distracted because you're reading your Bible on your phone and you try to pray and your phone is going off a million times and you see all those tweets and Facebook notifications and the news, right? And all that stuff. And then forget about it. My brain is shot. There's no focusing on prayer right now, right? Or even worse, you ever fallen asleep trying to pray? Anyone? Like, this is so awesome. I'm going to just take a little nap here, right? Like that's, that's that, that moment that we try. And then we come to a Baptist church. You're in a Baptist church talking about prayer. Oh my goodness, now I stink at prayer and I know the guilt is coming my way, right? Because ain't nobody got this prayer thing figured out. And if there's an easy home run for a pastor to make you feel guilty, it's evangelism and prayer. 
right? No, maybe, yeah. Don't feel guilty yet, I'm not there, I'm not there. Save the guilt for later. Um, Listen, or in my really dark moments of prayer, like the dark moments, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say out loud to people. That sometimes I'm trying to pray and there's this moment that I feel like I'm like, what am I doing? Like, is this some, like, am I just playing some game here? Is this like pretend? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand at that moment has ever popped into your head while you're trying to pray. That, that moment where you might be praying with a group of people and it's like, man, I think we're just bowing our head and closing our, li- our eyes and talking out loud to one another. Or maybe it feels like, man, my prayer isn't going anywhere apart from in this room right here. Like, like those moments, I feel like my thinking gets twisted and it results in the fact that my prayers start to get really twisted right? I, I don't need you to, to do that. And, and I know that something's off with that because, because listen, when in those dark moments when I think, oh, this is just some silly ritual, I go and I read the Bible and I see something that looks totally different than what I'm experiencing or thinking about prayer, right? I, I see something in the Bible that looks very powerful and very real and very personal and very intimate. And then I try to experience prayer in life and it Something doesn't taste the same as what I'm reading in the Bible. Well, at least on a regular basis, it probably doesn't taste the same. Maybe, you, maybe you've had those moments where prayer has been awesome, right? It's not all dark, bad, like awful things. Like, like I still can remember clearly some moments when I was praying and I was like, dude, I, th- I think I just talked to God. Like it was powerful. I I felt moved. I I thought I see him working. It's not all bad and negative, but it, but it feels sometimes like those moments when prayer is awesome feel more rare than they do, than they should be. Right. And if you've never experienced that moment where you were praying and you thought, man, I really just talked to God. Uh, man, I, I hope that isn't true for you for much longer. So, so here's what's happening. Jesus, I think, is talking about that in Matthew chapter six. And I think he addresses this exact issue about why, why do, do our prayers get twisted? Why do we get all squirrely in this? What, what's going on in the background that, that sometimes feels like the light is off when it comes to prayer? Um, I, I like what he says here. I think it's helpful. Let me, let's jump into Matthew chapter six. Verse seven, let me tell you what Jesus has been doing before we do that. He's been talking about, hey, don't pray like the hypocrites. I like to stand up and pray and everyone sees them. Like the moment they live for in prayer is not God hearing them. The moment a hypocrite lives for in prayer is other people hearing them. Other people thinking something about them, right? It's that, that person that, I don't know, any of you, would any of you love the idea of standing up here praying in front of the entire church? Uh, that may sound insane to you, but there's some people who love that idea. They, they love the moment of being seen by other people doing something good. And that sounds crazy to some of you, but that's not what Jesus was dealing with in the first century. These dudes loved, they wanted to go pray somewhere visibly and pray out loud and everyone go, dude, that guy's killing it. Dude, he's, he's a monster when it comes to prayer. Like that's, that's what they wanted. They wanted, it, they wanted all their fellow Baptists or Jews or whoever to be like, man, I respect you because I heard you pray. And they walked out saying, yes, that's everything I wanted. Everything I hoped and dreamed for. They felt good about it. But Jesus is going on to say something different here. Look at what he says in verse seven of Matthew chapter six. 
If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we have them on the verses on the screen in case you don't have your Bible with you. It says this, and when you pray, so he's saying when you're praying, not assuming if you pray, but when you pray, it says do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Don't, don't heap up these things for they think they will be hear, heard for their many words. He says, gives us negative example. Listen, when you're praying, don't, don't pray like the Gentiles. He talked about the hypocrites earlier, but now he's talking about the Gentiles. What does he mean by Gentiles? Well, he, he means basically the pagans of his day, the people who, were, who didn't believe in one God. He says, listen, when you're praying, don't pray the way they do. It's something very specific. They pile up all these empty words. That, that, that word that he's warning against there, it's kind of hard to translate, but it, it sounds like he's saying they're babbling, heaping up empty babbling or heaping up empty phrases. That, that, that what they would do then is some of them would have these, these special, special, almost like magical incantations that they would say. And they would say it over and over and over and over and over again because they thought that if, if they get the phrase right and if they say the phrase enough, over and over and over again. They mix a couple other phrases that were supposed to get the attentions of the gods. If, if they got the mixture right, if they got the amount right, if they got the phrase right, then maybe one of the gods would pay attention to them. Jesus is saying, listen, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, but also don't be like the Gentiles who are just piling up these phrases on top of them one after another. It's just like this long string of, of babbling and unintelligible talk. Now, I don't know, any of y'all pray like that? Don't raise your hand. That's a negative example. Again, like I've never been with y'all where any of y'all are praying that way. It'd be a really weird pastor's meeting if we were praying and they were sitting there going, New York Jets, New York Jets. I want to pray for the New York Jets over and over again. Like you're just saying some kind of, I'm like, what's up on the New York Jets? We're praying for Aunt Gertrude's bunion or whatever it is, right? Like New York Jets, I pray for the New York Jets. Just saying, saying these phrases over and over and over again or some shamalama ding dong, shamalama ding dong, shamalama ding dong, like saying some type of insanity. But, but listen, who in, the, who in their right mind would think that saying some crazy phrase over and over and over again would work with God? Who would think that? And here's what's going on in my head. Here's what I want us, here's what I want us to camp. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. He's not saying, hey, don't, be rep, don't repeat yourself. He's not saying that. He's, he's saying this. Look what he's saying. I want to read it to you again. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. And look at why they do it. This is what's important. It's that huge word for right there. They pray with all these empty phrases for, for this reason, because they think, they think something about who God is and how he acts. They're convinced that they have this view of God that's, that's twisted and distorted, that the way God listens, the thing that makes God listen to you is the right phrases or the right amount of phrases. It's a wrong view of God. And when your view of God is twisted, it's gonna twist the way you pray. And that's his point here. They've got God, they've got him figured out wrong. And when your view of God is wrong, your prayers are going to get all squirrely. In other words, your view of God shapes the way you pray. Your theology, that's a big uh, church word. Your theology shapes the way you pray. Now, now listen, I, I want to go down this path because I actually believe this is super, super practical for us. Okay, so we're going to camp out here. If I believe, that, if what I think he's teaching here is that your view of God shapes the way you pray, that means if, if your view of God is twisted, your prayer is going to be twisted. If your view of God is right, you're going to, you're going to figure these prayer things out in the right way. Here's, here, let me give a couple examples. I'm going to take it from a relationship perspective. 
Uh, I don't know how many of you are like me with your phone. I can't keep sitting down, you guys. It's driving me bonkers. Um, Listen, I don't know how many of you are like me on your phone, but have you ever like pulled up your phone to call someone and say the name's Bill and you type Bill into your contacts? You haven't talked to Bill in forever. And how many Bills pop up in your phone? Like 25 bills. There's Bill Smith, Bill, Bill Naismith. I don't know. He's a famous guy. Like there's just maybe like three just plain bills. And you're asking yourself the question, why would I just put the name Bill all by itself in my cell phone? I have no idea who Bill is. And so you're trying to hit the button to see the details of what is that phone number? Did I put any notes in here next to Bill's name? Of course I didn't put a note next to Bill's name. I don't even recognize the area code. It's from some other country or something. Bill is in my phone. And then that moment it accidentally calls Bill. You ever had that moment? No, 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 no. Hang up, hang up, hang up. Please don't call back because I don't know who this is. I don't know who Bill is. Like, listen, my phone has way too many contacts and a whole bunch of them. I got no idea who they are. Right. But I'm afraid to delete the, their numbers just in case for some reason I remember. Oh, yeah, Bill. I need to call Bill. Right. Just in case I ever need to text Bill for something or I bump into Bill again. And then I remember, yeah, I've got your number in my phone. Like I I don't, are y'all like that? Am I the only one that keeps five cabillion contacts in my phone? Yes, listen, it's ridiculous. And work only makes it worse. You meet someone, like try being a pastor. You meet someone like, oh yeah, let's talk. I got to do it. Put their name on my phone. I don't hear from them for like a year and a half. I'm like, hey, you want to get coffee? I'm like, oh my goodness, who is this person? Like, it's a really, I shouldn't share that with you because you might do that to me and I'll be like, yeah, sure. Uh, anyways, so so I was going somewhere with that, that illustration. Here's the, here's the point. There's certain people on my phone I don't call. I don't call them because I believe something about them and about my relationship with them. My view of, of that person, that name in my phone, my view of where our relationship is at changes how often I call them. I want you to think through the people you don't ever call in your phone. Do you mind doing that for a moment? Think of the reasons why. I've got a few reasons why. Number one, reason number one, they're probably too busy. Right? What, what, what does that say I believe about that person? They're busy, and my relationship is where in relationship to their busyness? Down here? Like I, don't, I don't know that I ever think, man, I want to call my wife, but she's probably too busy to talk to me. I mean, I probably should think that. We have a lot of kids, but I don't think that way, right? I just don't. I, I believe that she's not too busy to talk to me on the phone. So there's no hesitation when I pick up my phone to call my wife. But for Bill, who I don't know, I probably don't call because Bill is probably too busy to talk to me about nothing right? Or maybe it's not too busy. Maybe I'm too busy. That one's kind of arrogant, right? I don't have time to talk to Bill. What is my view about busyness in my relationship with Bill at that point? Now it's not, hey, Bill's busy and I'm down here. Now I'm busy and Bill is down here, right? Or, or, or worse, maybe it's just like, you know, I don't really think I know Bill that well. Like, like, I don't really know him. So for me to call this dude and say, hey, Bill, like, what's up? Just want to call and catch up. <laughs> He's like, who's this guy Fias in my phone? I don't get this, right? Like, I, I don't call Bill because I don't really know Bill that well. Like, now, now I would feel comfortable calling Bill if I had a business transaction to make and I knew what his business was. 
Like if my fridge is broken and Bill fixed fridges, I don't have a problem calling Bill even though I don't know him and say, hey Bill, my fridge broke, you fix those things, right? Can I pay you to come over and fix my, I don't have any problem going to Bill as a stranger and giving him my list of needs for him to work on and do a business interaction. Or, or, or maybe this, maybe they don't know me. Like just, I mean, just, just pretend I actually had the phone number of a famous guy named Bill. Let's, let's say, I don't even know. I should have thought this through before I picked the name Bill. I, can someone give me a famous person named Bill? Bill Murray. Wow. More than one of you said that. I am, that wasn't even in my brain. Oh, y'all, everyone says Bill Murray like that. I don't, oh, okay, I'm gonna go with Bill, I'm gonna go with Bill Murray, yeah. <laughs> okay, so Bill Murray, say somehow I got Bill Murray's cell phone number in my phone. Bro, listen, it's useless to me. Can I tell you why? because I'm probably never going to call Bill Murray or text saying, what's up, Bill? How you doing, buddy? This is Fias. You know why I'm not going to do that? Because I did some cheapskate trick to get that dude's phone number. He didn't give it to me. I don't know him. I'm a complete stranger to that guy. I'm not calling Bill Murray because he thinks I'm a telemarketer. Right? And the interaction I get with Bill Murray, my one shot before he blocks my cell phone number, I do not want to be the awkward moment of, well, I got it from a guy that said he knew you and do you want to buy a vacation to Florida? I don't know, something stupid like that. Or maybe worse, maybe they're mad at me. Maybe the last time I talked to Bill, not Bill Murray, a different Bill. Why would Bill Murray be mad at me? Anyways, the last time I talked to Bill, that last time, it didn't go so well. Like I did something stupid or Bill did something stupid. Either way, I don't like what Bill did. Bill doesn't like what I did. So now I'm not going to call Bill, right? I, I have some stories about that. I don't know if you guys remember back in the dating days. Did you ever have a post breakup phone call? Oh, am I the only one that did that? Okay. It's the worst. I just want you to know. It's one of the reasons why I'm so glad I'm married. Like that moment you break up with someone and that's before I had like call ID. So they call, you pick up the phone. You're like, oh no, like, Oh no, like I, again, we're having this combo. Like we ended this like three days ago. Can we not? Okay, we're gonna do it again. All right, they're mad at me. I don't, I don't wanna talk to Bill on the phone. I, I didn't break up with a guy named Bill. That's just weird. I don't, <laughs> just realized that, that went really awkward for me, right? Or, or, or maybe this, I know this one's gonna sound weird. I, I wrote this list on purpose in case you're wondering. Maybe there's certain people I don't call because they're not real. Listen, I, at no point in my time have I ever tried to get a phone number of a magical talking unicorn. I can say that because my daughter's not in here and I don't want to shatter her hopes and dreams. Do you know why I've never tried to get the phone number of a magical talking unicorn? Because magical talking unicorns, brace yourself, are not real. I know, there's a gasp there. Shock, shock, awe, like, like, I don't even know, like, no, this is the worst Father's Day ever. First bill, now unicorns. Listen, here, here's why I made that list, and here's what I'm wondering for many of us. I wonder if one of the reasons prayer is so hard for us is, is at times is that underneath Underneath that struggle with prayer, that frustration with prayer, there's these weird views of God. He's too busy. I'm too busy. 
He's kind of a strat. I don't really know him. I don't think he really knows me. I don't think he likes me. I'm not sure he's any more real than a unicorn. Listen, I don't know what reason it would be hard for you to pray, but one of the things we do not want to do is just stick our head down and say, pray more. Pray better. Stop not praying. Is that even the right way to say that? Like, come on, like, well, why? Why is prayer so hard? What's going on in my heart and mind that's making me stumble on this all the time? Don't, don't just jump to more action. Explore the heart of the issue that's happening behind the action. I know that's hard work and it's confusing and it can be murky, but, but that's how we fix the issue of struggling with prayer. We don't fix prayer by just beating ourselves up and saying, you need to pray more. We, we take the time to wrestle with the word and with God and with community, trying to wrestle with what's going on behind the scenes in my heart and mind. What's broken about my view of God that's fleshing it out in my failure to pray. And I know that feels like deep, deep work, but that is the work of a follower of Jesus. It's deep, hard work of the soul and the inner person that changes our actions. But that's not the main point Jesus is making. Jesus doesn't say you don't pray a lot. It's probably because you don't view God right. He says, listen, he's talking about they're praying wrong because they have the wrong view of God. So I'm asking this question. What are some weird ways that we pray and what's the, the strange thing, the strange view of God behind it, right? He said, don't pray like the Gentiles because they think God hears them because of this. So what are the things, what are the ways we treat God? I wrote another list down here. And you may have a better list. And my list is not divine. My list is intended to help us figure out what's going on. Whichever one strikes you, you wrestle with God in that. Maybe sometimes I view him as a genie or Santa or a lucky rabbit's foot. So prayer's in my pocket for when crisis hits. Pull it out then. That's when I go to him. Because he's, he's my good luck charm. Or, or maybe I view him as severe or as my work boss. Like, so he's kind of harsh or he's like my boss. So I'm going to keep it short, sweet to the point. Like I'm just going to get the basics done so he's not mad. I pray to him with timidity. Maybe I view him as distracted. Like man, he's got so many important people to deal with. I'm, an, I'm just a nobody. Or worse, I'm a mess. I don't really share that much. I just, I, want to get a li- I just want to get it done with. Or maybe I view them as distant and formal. So my language is a lot of thee and vows. It's, it's a lot of, um, it's the way I would talk to someone in Congress or a committee. It's formal. It's rigid. Or maybe I view them as disappointed. Reality is... I, I cannot bear to think about him looking at me that way. So I just don't even bother going to his presence because I know what I did yesterday. I know what I thought last week. I know what I did at home and in my marriage and to my kids. I know what I did at work. He, he, there's no way that dude wants to look at me. It's too painful to even go to him and have the convo. Or, or maybe he's just boring and irrelevant. So that means like... I. Okay, if I'm praying, let me just get to the things that matter. I mean, just endure this to get to what matters most. 
or maybe he's just a tradition. So I pray before meals and at church. Listen, church, I, here's why I believe this is an issue for us. I think we get broken in prayers in so many ways. And we try to guilt you into praying more and praying better, but Jesus has a different plan. Like, like there's a viewpoint he wants you to have about God that should fix all our prayer problems, right? Okay, now what is that viewpoint? Well, he tells us, let me show you, Matthew chapter six, verse eight. Do not be like them, like the Gentiles. And what's the framework he wants us to have? What does he want us to think about God to fix our prayers? For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven. I know the rest of that prayer, right? Listen, what's the framework that Jesus wants us to have when we pray? Not like a genie, not like a rabbit's foot. The, the framework he wants us to have is that he's our father. That's convenient for Father's Day, isn't it? The, the, the viewpoint that God wants us to have about him as we approach him in prayer, the mindset that keeps us from getting the way we pray all twisted and jacked up, the mindset is that he's our father. Now, now right off the bat, I know in this moment, that's an issue for some of you who are in this room right now. When you think of father, you think of the dude that bailed on you when you were a kid. And, and when you think of father, the whole framework you have is some dude that doesn't want you around, that you're a burden and he's gone. Listen, I, God is a better father than that. Or, or maybe your father wasn't gone. Maybe he was around, but it just wasn't that pleasant. You could never please him. You could never satisfy him. My goodness, the savageness that he would come at you if you made a peep. Maybe, maybe that's your view of dad. Angry, disappointed. Listen, I want you to know God is a better father than that. He's, he's a really, really, really good dad. Let me show you what he says here. Because you may be saying, man, I don't, I don't know about him being my dad. Let me, let me show you the way he describes himself as being a father. Would you flip in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. He's talking about this is what happens when you, when you get saved. You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. You've been adopted. You, you didn't get this, oh man, like I, I've got to curl up in fear and he's just so controlling and oppressive. That's not the spirit you get when you get saved. You get this spirit, this spirit of adoption where he says, you're mine, you're, you're a son or a daughter. And that's by whom we cry. It says this crazy phrase, Abba, Father. That, that word Abba, uh, we don't use that today. It's the word dad. Daddy. My kids get that. They don't mind saying dad. For all my failures, my kids get that, that. That they can call me. They don't walk to me and say, oh, father. 
I'd be like, what in the world? What kind of chaos? Don't do that today, guys. Don't call me father. Just call me dad, right? But, but they come and they say, dad. And they ask me the same questions over and over and over again. And I'm not the best dad at handling the questions on repeat. But what I'm saying is this. They're able to approach me like their dad. It's close. It's personal. It's intimate. It's not distant and sterile and judgmental. Listen, the viewpoint that God wants us to have of him is as our dad. He he wants us to be able to approach him as a loving, gracious, kind Abba, a dad. Does it feel weird to you to think about talking to God like that? That's the mindset and, and listen, like, if we really viewed him as dad, do you think it would be as hard to pray more? Do you think it'd be difficult to interact with him in prayer and say, I just, right? But he's not just dad. He's not just loving and kind. There's something else about this dad. This is one of the reasons. He's more loving and kind than any father we've ever known. But it says something else. Flip back to Matthew chapter 6. He says, do not be like them for your father. And what about your father? He knows what you need before you ask him. He's not just dad. He's a dad that knows. Listen, the implication is that he sees it fully. He sees you fully and completely. He knows what you need before you even ask. Now now listen, um, knowing my need doesn't help me necessarily, especially if you're indifferent towards me. Right? Like if you, if I'm in need, I'm on the side of the road, my car's broken down and you drive by and you know, I know what that guy needs. He needs some help. And if you're indifferent towards my need, that doesn't help me. It doesn't make me feel better. He's not just saying that he's aware of your need. He's saying that he's aware of your need and he cares about it. Let me flip over one page, Matthew chapter seven. Look at how it describes same sermon. Jesus is preaching verse nine. He says this. He's talking about how, what a good father God is. And which of you, if, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Any knucklehead dads do that? Hey, dad, I'm hungry. Guess what, son? I've got a bag of gr- gravel just for you. He wants cheeseburger. I'm giving him rocks. Any dads do that? D- don't. That's a, that's a, he's not saying to do that. That's a bad idea. Or if your son asks for a fish, not a pet fish, okay, <laughs> a fish to eat. Dad, I'm hungry. I want sardines. Weird. Okay. I'll give you some food to eat, right? You're not going to give your son a snake. You're not going to give him something that can harm him. When your kids come to you and they ask for food and they're hungry, you don't give them useless things like rocks. You don't give them harmful things like snakes. Why not? Because you're not an idiot, right? What kind of dad? You're not stupid. He makes this statement. Verse 11, if you then who are evil, okay, that one hurts a little, going to be honest, but if you who are broken and compared to God, you're definitely evil. If you who are sinful, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? See what he's saying? He's not just saying he's your father. He's saying he's your father who knows and who cares. He actually 
cares about your need. He knows what you need more than you do. And, and there's one other thing that matters. Look what else he says there. Flip back to Matthew chapter six, verse nine. He says, pray like this, our father, and he uses this phrase, in heaven. Here's what this matters. He's not just saying that God's your father. He's not just saying that God knows and cares. He's saying he's strong enough to do something about it. Your father is in heaven. He is the king of all the universe. Like him knowing my needs and caring deeply about my needs isn't helpful unless he's strong enough to do something about my needs. All of my needs. Listen, this is actually really, really good news for us. That the biggest need you've ever had in your entire life, the biggest disappointment, frustration, biggest hurdle, biggest setbacks you've ever had, God knows, he sees, he cares, and he's able to do something about it. Even if I don't even know what to pray. Let me show you another verse. I'm going back to Romans chapter 8. It says this. Look, look at this in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. It says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He's just been talking about how we have a spirit of adoption. Verse 26 of Romans 8, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses for we do not know what to pray for as we are. We don't even know how to pray right. And look at what, look at how gracious our father is. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Here's the picture of it. Like just picture yourself. You're just, you're broken. You're frustrated. You're aggravated. You don't even know what to ask for. You ever been there? And here's how good your dad is. You just do this. <sighs> you know what he does? He takes that and translates that into, here's what he needs. He needs this and this and this. He doesn't, even, he doesn't even know what he needs. He doesn't know how to put into words what he's experiencing. I know what he's feeling. I know what he needs. I don't even need to say it out loud. He can just sigh. And I know my son or daughter so well, and I'm so strong, and I care so much, I can literally turn that into the prayer I need to move. It's a pretty good dad, right? It's an awesome dad. Listen, I'll have to come in with timidity to him. He, look what else says here in Romans chapter 8. We read these things to start the service. Verse 31 and 32, he says this, what then shall we say to these things? If God, our Abba, is for us, who, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Listen, church, if we want to fix our prayer lives, I think we need to fix how we view God. We need to view him as this really unbelievably gracious dad who knows, who cares, who's strong enough to actually do something about it, and he is all on your side. Do you know how you get him on your side? You don't be good. That's not the solution. You don't go to church. It's not the solution. You don't pray the right prayers. How do you get him on your side? You place his trust in what his son did for you on the cross. You just believe him. You ask him to say, hey, will you adopt me and fix me? That's it. And he's like, deal, I'm in. And he leans all in and he's all for you. And he wants you as a son or a daughter. And then he's for you. 
You just have to believe and ask. That is it. That, that is shockingly simple. No, it's not. I've got this video. I'm nervous to share it because the video is not normally my thing, right? Um, the, this one, my wife makes fun of me. This one gets me every single time. Um, but, but here's what I believe. I believe when we see God as father, I believe a light can flip on for us and almost like we're hearing him for the first time. I believe prayer can become this unbelievably powerful thing that your walk with God will be transformed when you feel like he really is your dad that's for you. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen any of these videos. You've seen these videos about the cochlear implants. I know what that is for the kids who are born deaf. And then they, they get this implant that happens and then they, they go to the doctor and they turn it on for the first time and they hear their mom or dad's voice for the first time. Listen, I want to show you one of those videos, okay? And, and as you're watching it, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about what it's like to, to not see God as a good, caring, loving father and then the switch gets flipped. Then for the first time you hear him and you see how he looks at you. I, I, I want you to connect that with the emotions you see on this kid and this mom's face in this video. Hi, Dylan. <laughs> Hi, honey. Can you hear Mommy? Okay, so tell Mommy happy. What do you think? Can you hear Mommy? Really good? Do you like it? Oh, it's awesome. Is it awesome? Yes, it is. Can you hear? You can hear us now. Mommy's happy. Mommy's very happy. Hey, Dylan's so happy. You're going to hear all the secrets now. You're going to hear all the balls. The ball ball down there. You heard it? I know that's a short video clip. Listen, it gets me every single time. That moment... Could you see the kid's face? I know the screen was rough. Could you see his face? That moment when he's like, it's like sinking into his little brain that he is hearing his mom's voice. And it's just like this beautiful thing where he feels like, man, I can, I can hear her. Church, we've, we've put handcuffs and earmuffs on ourselves. We, we've viewed God as harsh and distant And he's close and he's real and he's dad and he's all for you. Listen, I hope you take the earmuffs off and you flip the switch on and that you hear him talk to you and you see him look at you through prayer. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, I pray in this time of response that we would see you as dad. We'd see you as big and king and strong, but also dad who's for us. God, we we all have reasons why we miss that. So God, I'm praying in this next moment as we continue to work through responding. God, I'm praying that you would work in our hearts personally so that whatever reasons we have for not engaging you as dad, that you would, you would point it out clearly in a way we would hear it and we would change our view of you to match who you say you are. And I pray that all in Jesus' name.
Amen. I want you to keep your head bowed and not closed for a moment. I want to walk you through a time of response here. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation. We're going to sing a song. And our pastors and decision counselors will be down front. If you need to speak with someone, we'd love to get a chance to talk with you. But I want you to do business with God right there in your seat with, with your dad. Listen, I, has your view of God been twisted that you haven't been able to see him as father? whatever way it's been, would you just get rid of that view and ask God to help you have the right view of him as father? Maybe for you, the thing that stands out is you're a dad in this room and you've been living life in a way you've painted a really poor picture of God as father to your kids. Just whenever things God pointed out in your heart, just Repent of those. God will forgive you and ask him to help you actually be the type of father that paints a really good picture for God as dad to your kids or your grandkids. Maybe for some of you here today, you've worked hard to be really religious and good, to make God proud. And you've never actually just come to him as your dad and just ask him to save you. Or maybe you haven't even tried. Maybe you're the person that's like, you know, I'm, I, I could care less about God, but I showed up to church for a friend or for whatever reason you're here today. And, and I want you to know, you have an opportunity to enter into a relationship with God as your dad and he will be for you. I gave the good news earlier and the, the good news of the gospel, I want you to hear this, is that Jesus came and died on the cross for you and me. That's how much God wanted to pursue us in love. He died on a cross to bridge the gap between us and God so that he could be our father. The Bible says he died on the cross and he came back to life three days later and he offers us relationship with him, adoption. And all you have to do is say, I don't, I don't want my way anymore, I want your way. I'm placing my trust in Jesus and what he did and asking him to save me. Listen, you may have been in church your whole life. You've never been in church. It's your first day ever in church. Listen, it's the same way to God either way. If you want him to be your dad, you ask him to save you. Listen, if that's you, I want to encourage you to do that right there in your seat. Maybe for all of you, the thing that God did is you just kind of stand in awe that he's actually your, your dad. Listen, right there in your seat, would you take a moment and just praise him or worship whatever word you want to do to praise him for being a dad in heaven let me pray for us heavenly father i pray as we respond to you right now that that you'd be glorified yeah, if there's someone who needs to speak to someone, I pray they would feel free to do that. If they want to pray, God, I pray they would feel free to do that. But I pray all of us would worship and that we would see you as our dad in heaven. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.